0: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Look who's back. How's it going there, Yeah. Matt? Hey, it's great, James. Great to be back. Awesome to have you on the podcast. Got a great episode for you. We're talking about high risk today uh, with Josh over at Helios Payments. We're going to talk about a lot of high risk issues.
2: Um, Patty, give him a little preview. What's the insider's report about today? Uh, About buy now, pay later, and a great opportunity that that agents and isos have out there to do that. Love it.
1: Love it. I finish it up with questions from the field. I talk about how to sell technology and point-of-sale systems, specifically as an iso. How do you get your team moving forward with that? So, I don't know about you, Patty, but I'm excited about the episode. I'm ready to dive in. Uh, I am too, James.
2: Let's go. All
1: right, everybody. I am here today with Josh Ewan. Josh is the president at Helios Payments. How are you doing today, Josh? Doing good, James. How are you? Awesome, man. Doing great. Uh, We have Patty back with us. Really glad to have Patty back on the podcast today. Really happy
2: to be back, James.
1: Definitely. So we're excited about that. Um, So today, uh, Josh and I and Patty are going to talk about high risk. Um, and so, we're going to talk about a lot of the different challenges that, um, you know, high-risk processors, uh, you know, face on a regular basis. We're going to talk about, you know, you building a high-risk portfolio, all that stuff. So, um, Josh, before we get into that, I'd love to get a little bit of your backstory. So, can you tell us how you get into credit card processing and then, of course, how that transitioned into Helios and, and high-risk?
3: Sure. So, and, and I think that the history, I'm going to go back all the way to the very beginning for me. Sure. Because um, I think it builds context, right? So sure. Uh, In the late 90s, like 97-ish, I started in e-commerce doing website development. Um, I had a web dev company for about six years, a web hosting company in tandem with that. Um, I've done online marketing, affiliate marketing for years. So so that's all my background is the e-commerce. So about 10 years ago, uh, my business partner and I started a direct consumer skincare company selling skincare online sure uh, and the most critical most difficult piece of that business model is the credit card processing because hmm. uh, yeah. it's considered high risk there's high chargebacks and so on right. so so about five years ago we founded helios payments you know we had spent 10 years building up you know the knowledge and the relationships in the high-risk you know processing space right uh, yeah and five years ago we set up helios payments and that's still what we focus on—is you know, direct consumer e-commerce, um, you know, types of products.
2: That's that's really cool, Josh. Tell me—you know—high risk is a pretty broad subject, a, a topic, shall we say, and, and it can be misunderstood. Maybe it'd be great if you could sort of—I mean, obviously, e-commerce and that type of stuff is is high high risk, but there's other avenues. I was wondering if maybe you could explain to us you know, what exactly a high-risk account is, and maybe, you know, what is it that keeps uh, traditional merchant processors uh, from wanting to deal with high-risk?
3: Sure, sure. So you're right. It, it is, it, you know, kind of a really broad umbrella, because it can be uh, card-present, too. Correct. Um, so, and, and James, I'm going to shoot you over a bullet point list of just, like, verticals, right? Verticals, uh, and business models that are high-risk, maybe you can float them across the screen or something.
1: Yeah. Sure. So,
3: so types of products that would be considered high risk would be, in general, um, have a uh, higher chance of chargebacks and refunds, right? Mm-hmm. So, more more risk there for the bank. Um, maybe more regulation, like tobacco and firearms, CBD, things like that. So, just real quick, uh, direct consumer products online, diet, muscle pills, skin care, travel... Tech support, adult, uh, trial and subscription billing, that's a huge one. Right. You know, for because the charge rates are high, right? So um, it can be a lot of different things, but in general, it's anything that would really, you know, increase the risk for the bank. And it varies based on the processor. Some processors view different verticals differently. You know, some will accept CVD, some won't, some will accept trial, some won't, and so on.
1: Now it sounds like Josh, um, you know, you had that background in high risk, which I'm sure really influenced your decision. But I'm curious from like a, you know, financial return on investment perspective, why does Helios focus so much on high risk and building that book versus say traditional processing? I'm just curious to get some context for our listeners that maybe are doing traditional and they just don't understand the appeal. You know, why go after these high risk accounts?
3: Yeah, sure. No, I, and I totally get it. So I think last time you and I spoke, you were helping us with sort of a little retail pilot program. Yes. right? And and trying to, you know, find a way that worked for us. So we've got our way and that works for us. It's it's probably very different than anyone else. Right. Um, Because in terms of marketing, we don't do a lot. Right. Um, uh, Most of our leads come through existing customers and referrals. So we really network with a lot of people in our space, Uh, you know, fulfillment houses, customer support teams and so on. Um, Right. And that drives the leads to us. So, so the decision to go with high risk was really our experience and the traction we were getting. You know, we tried low risk and it just it didn't make sense for us, right? right. We, right. We, couldn't, we couldn't get that piece of the puzzle to work, right? So really
2: more of a, go ahead, go ahead, Patty. No, I was just wondering, is, is that because of, of, of the focus, of your focus? And it just, it was sort of like a nuisance, the low risk stuff. Was it just because the payback wasn't good enough?
3: Um, you know, I think you know if you stick with anything long enough, right? You're, right. you're going to get it. Um, we probably could have gotten traction. You know, okay. I think it was a combination of things. Um, you know, the the person that was in that seat doing sales, you know, probably could have been different. Maybe we could have done different lead gen. Um, you know, so so I wouldn't say it was a nuisance. We just you know. We saw the opportunity with what we were already doing, and decided, you know, it was just a good
2: opportunity, and you stuck with it. Yeah, it's not broken, don't fix it, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
3: Yeah,
1: I like that, and you know, I think it's, I think it's really interesting, Josh. I mean, it kind of does, you'll lend itself to like a just more of a a broad topic, right? Which is just focus. You know, I mean, I think it's like, like I love what you just said. If you do anything long enough, generally, you're going to figure it out. It's a question of how long is it going to take.
3: Yeah, you will. And, and honestly, I think we will get back to high risk or to, to low risk. You right, know, I think right. As we grow, we're going to need to start, you know, working on our portfolio balance. Sure. Right. And, and you absolutely need that.
1: Yeah. But I think it's interesting because there's always that opportunity cost is I think what you're talking about, right? It's like for yeah. you right now to go after low risk, you know, that means you're taking resources that could be going after high risk and there still is a lot of meat on that bone for you. So, you know, it's always like a little bit tricky because it's like, you know, you want to go after something else, but there's always that opportunity cost. And I think ultimately most of our listeners, you know, they really need to have that focus and like pick something and they stick with it for a little while until you really get it working. And then to your point, once you have things running smoothly and everything, you know, you're, you're, you're taking maximum advantage of existing opportunity, then of course you want to try to broaden a little bit and look at other options, but uh Super interesting. So let's talk about this because you kind of alluded to it a minute ago. Let's talk about prospecting for a second. You know, um, when it comes to low risk, yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, it's like everybody's a prospect, right? Just go out to your local, busiest street and just walk into the businesses or call them. And it's like, yeah, of course, they're a prospect. So when we talk about high risk, you know, how are you finding these businesses? I know, you know, you have other avenues and things, but if you can give us some broad concepts and some insights, I mean, how do you, how do you get into the high risk side and actually find potential prospects?
3: Well, so for us, it was kind of easy because we were already already in it. Right. Right. So we we had been in this kind of ecosystem for a decade, you know, knowing the fulfillment houses and the processors and the, you know, the merchants and all these things. So I don't do prospecting. I, I, I just don't. And, I, and your ears are probably bleeding underneath the headphones. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I know that's, no. that's... You know
1: what's, you know what's funny, Josh, about <laughs> this is I, I'm always preaching this stuff. <clears throat> is I don't prospect either. You know? I mean, for my personal... You know, like for my business, mm-hmm. you know, I don't prospect. People come to me and I think it's... Yeah. That's, that's the dream, right?
3: Yeah. So, so that's the you know tipping point, right? Great. You don't have to because you built up the momentum and exactly. the relationships. Right? Yeah. So and, let, and but let's
1: go back to when, you know, when you were getting started with this, you know, mm-hmm. your first, how did you get your first 10 high-risk accounts? You know what I mean?
3: So, I mean, we, we do do trade shows, not yeah. presently. So right. 2020 is a non-trade show year for us. But sure. we, we usually do a couple larger trade shows that are, you know, very niche-specific. Um, and that generates a lot of leads. Um and then, you know, aside from that, it's, it's all just referrals.
1: So talk about the trade shows a little bit, cause I don't think we've ever covered that on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give us a couple of things, you know, you go to a trade show, how do you choose which trade shows to go to? What do you do when you get there? What's the time investment? How do you get leads? Do you have any kind of insights on and, the trade show side?
2: Yeah. And also, are they like, are they very specific? That, that I, yes. I was just wondering about that too.
3: Yeah. Patty, that's, that's a really good point. So um, you know, for, for us, we, we focus on you know, a, quite a few different verticals, but they're all kind of interrelated. They're all going to be e-com, right? Okay, okay. Um, so with trade shows, I think it does have to be vertical specific or market specific. So for instance, you know, C- CBD is, is huge right now and right. it's definitely high risk. It's definitely challenging to processing for it. And there, there are a number of great, you know, CBD or cannabis related trade shows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even just walking the floor, you know, you can meet with vendors and, Mm -hmm. you know, just start developing that relationship. You can meet with, you know, merchants and so on. Um, So it has to be vertical specific. Um, And yeah, I I really don't know what what else to say.
1: You guys have a booth there and everything? Like you don't just go and talk to vendors, you actually have a booth.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there there were a a few trade shows last year that we just sort of walked the floor. Right. Um, Okay. But yeah, you know, usually a 10-foot space, um and
1: you know booth and table and do you um do you do anything to get the leads you know i don't know giveaway contest whatever that kind of do that gimmick kind of more stuff or is it more just like just getting relationships as you talk to people or what just
2: informational
3: Oh, it's both, right? So you've got to have the conversation, right? Right. Um, so I've been doing trade shows for a really long time, and when I first started, I you know would buy the big boxes of all the swag, right? Right. So right. You got you got to have the right swag, you know, whether it's yeah. you know, a hand sanitizer with your brand on it or stress balls. But I stopped doing that years ago. I, it's just yeah. it's exhausting. Uh, yeah. what's, what <laughs> has worked a lot better, and and this just a dirty little secret, what works a lot better and it's a heck of a lot cheaper, is put your money in a giveaway. So, so for us, it's, you know, we usually do Amazon products. So Amazon Echo, Echo Show, things like that. Right. A, couple hundred, a couple hundred bucks. You would spend, you know, a thousand, maybe 1500 bucks on swag, right? Right. Sure. Come home with all the stuff. So yeah, that's what we do. We have, you know, like that. Just, uh, so, just a giveaway. You put your card in and we start right. the conversation. There you
1: go. That's, that's what I was about to ask you. So basically the, what, what you're saying is if you go to a trade show, one of the things you can do is buy something that people are going to want that's broadly you know, uh, useful to people like an echo or something like that. And then you have a jar or a container of some kind at your booth and you say, you know, giving away a echo or whatever, and then people put their business card in and you pull one out at the end of the show and that person gets an echo.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Then when you, what do you do with those? So then like you have all these business cards, obviously you try to talk to people when they come up and put the business card in, but -hmm. I'm assuming then you have some kind of a process then after the trade show to then like, call everybody to put a business card in or something like that. Right.
3: Yeah. So what we've done in the past is, um, you know, myself and our president or our uh, CEO, we would be at the booth. Right. And we have our Slack open. uh, Right. And we have, uh, you know, one of our other staff back at home with Slack open and our CRM. So we'll take a business card, Ah, a couple notes, like, Hey, talk to this guy about, you know, CBD or whatever, right? right. Sure, or, sure. you know, a possible referral deal. And, and then you enter in the CRM and then we come back and you kind of, you know, break that up a little bit. You know, maybe there's a small list for referral partners, sure. a small list for uh, you know, some you know, specific vertical or something.
1: Got it. Very cool. Very cool. I like it. Okay. So once you have somebody interested, so you have a prospect, you met him at a trade show, it's a referral, whatever it is. Um, what do you do to qualify your prospects? Because obviously when it comes to high risk, you know, there it is broad, but it's also there's, there's businesses that would not be a good fit. What are your criteria when you're looking at who you want to work with? you have certain criteria that you look at?
3: It's tough. It's tough. Um, you yeah, know, and maybe you could speak to this from the point of view of low risk. That might educate me. You're definitely educate me, right? But um, you can definitely waste time yes. in, in this business, right? So working with, you know, a merchant that's not the right fit or a merchant that doesn't have their stuff together. Because, you know, putting together a package, you've got to get all the documents and high risk is um, very different. The package is roughly the same that you're submitting to underwriting, but it definitely gets, you know, gone through a lot more and the website and everything.
0: Right.
3: Um, so you can spend, you can spin your wheels a lot. Um, yeah. So as far as qualifying, um, you, you kind of know, I, I, I know at this point, you know, kind of early on in the conversation by asking probing questions you know, Hey, how's your monthly volume look? Sure. You know, what can I see your websites? You know, these kinds right. of things. So some, you,
1: when you think about, when you think about ones where you have wasted maybe a lot of time on somebody that, you know, ended up not working out, is there any pattern or anything that you see there? Is it, is it normally something to do with paperwork or is it, you know, like what, what do you, what are the reasons where it ends up being, you thought maybe it was going to be a good fit, but it, it turned out not to be.
3: Yeah, sure. So I, I would say, um, offshore, some offshore, right? So so Europe is, for the most part, pretty decent. Sure. Um, we've had bad experiences with India merchants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a massive country, so I know there right. are great merchants there, but yes. we've had some challenges there uh, in Asia as well. Okay. Uh, so you have to be aware of fraud and things like that. Uh, right. We've got packages submitted that um, you know were just completely fraudulent. So there's definitely that aspect. You're not meeting them face-to-face. You're not going into a coffee shop or something. Um, So that and and probably kind of time wasters. So um, our unique styling proposition um, is really our experience in this space, right? Right. So a merchant comes to me, wants to sell a skincare product, wants to sell a diet product, Mm -hmm. um, has an idea of what they want to do, um, but may not know you know, the fulfillment process and fulfillment houses, customer support teams. And um, so that's, that's really our biggest value, I think, to clients. And sometimes, you know, having those conversations, you know, we're we're very generous with our time and and educating merchants and introducing them to the right contacts to help them get started or maybe improve their business. And, you know, sometimes you just, you have a merchant, just, you know, you spend time and, you know, kind of love to, and and it doesn't pan out. And that's just part of the, you know.
1: Sure. So it sounds like a couple of things you said. Just unpack that a little bit. <clears throat> On the high risk side, it sounds like one of the things you're saying is, as far as offshore, you know, do a little more due diligence. Maybe there could end up being some some time wasters. Yeah. Um, I love the uh, I love the concept that you are providing this additional value. Um, you know, in other words, you know your vertical so well that not only are you doing credit card processing, but it sounds like you're saying your clients are coming to you for advice on fulfillment and other things that they need connections. And you have that, you have that connection base, you know, within your industry. Is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cause you know, it's, it's tough sometimes. Uh, and I'm sure you've experienced this um, to, to separate yourself. You know, when yeah. you're an agent, you know, you, you don't, you know, if you're not an ISO, right. right. They can get to, you know, world Pay, or they can get to PPS through any number of different agents, right? So right. what is special about you? And, and you, you don't want to just fight on price. You know, you don't want to be right. in a race to zero. Right, right? especially so high in high yeah. risk. Yeah.
1: yeah, sure. Okay, cool. No, I, I like that. I think, uh, I think that's an important lesson. I think a lot of agents that, you know, are hopefully listening right now, you know, to me, like, that is so huge. Like, I'll even give a personal example. When I was building my local book of business, um, I was QuickBooks certified. Um, and I also had a marketing company as well. And so, you know, those two things together, I mean, it's pretty difficult to find a small business owner that isn't having trouble with QuickBooks or doesn't need help with marketing. Right, right. Right. But the funny thing is credit card processing is actually more valuable than either of those two things. So what I chose to do was I took that talent that I had in those areas and I gave that away for free in order to get credit card processing. So I would go in and talk to him and, you know, Hey, I'm a marketing expert and I'm QuickBooks certified. And we'd strike up a lot of conversations from that. I get referrals from that. My referrals were not always from credit card processing and be like, Hey, we do our credit card processing with this guy and he's a QuickBooks expert. You should call him because you're having a problem with QuickBooks. So, you know, I think having that is, is really, uh, you know, even from a prospecting perspective is really a great, uh, uh is really a great one. So, um, okay so let 's talk a little bit about bank relationships so I think one of the biggest misunderstandings about high risk that individuals in the low risk side have is you know when you 're selling low risk this idea of the bank you know it just it doesn 't really come up a lot you know because you think really of it more like your ISO, you know, because it's low risk. So the bank seems like they're not really very involved. What What's really yeah. happening is the bank has given these underwriting guidelines. As long as you stick to those underwriting guidelines, they know it's going to be low risk. And so we just don't deal with that. But when it comes to high risk, of course, you know, you need different relationships, you need banks that are willing to do accounts. So talk a little bit about How have you established these banking relationships? How do you manage these banking relationships? Like give us any insights that you have on kind of that side of building a high-risk book.
3: Sure. Sure. So yeah, your relationships are huge. Um, If you have a CBD merchant and, you know, they need credit card processing, you need to know which banks to take them to. Um, So we have partnerships with 35 different acquirers uh, in the U S and the EU. Uh, We can also place uh, merchants in Australia, South America, and Asia. It's not really our brand, but but the relationships are key. um, And it's something that we continually work on. Um, So every week, you know, there's usually a couple phone calls. Hey, you know, XYZ processor, we'd like to talk to you about, you know, submitting some deals to you. You know, when, when you look at the website, you can tell where they're placing deals, right? Scroll down to the bottom. You know, so-and-so is an ISO in the Wells Fargo bank. Yeah. Um, so it's something we, we constantly work on to improve. Um, it's definitely part of our secret sauce, right? So right. having those relationships, because there's a lot of value in that. So I would say, you know, yeah. the first for us is that experience, and the second is, is that relationship. So a merchant can come to us, and I know pretty much with 95% certainty I can take that merchant and place them at any one of the banks or processors that a competitor will be able to, right? Right. Uh, and, and sometimes there's not a lot of meat on the bone in those deals. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, when you get into like trial credit card processing, um, right. you know the the pad on top of interchange is a lot higher. Right. It tends to be a little bit lower, and sometimes you get into you know referral deals and stuff. So even though there isn't meat on the bone on those kinds of deals with those banks it's still something that we do because we want to keep the merchant you know solely with us right
1: yeah for sure well and of course it's always going to generate referral uh you know referral relationships um as well right i mean you get a happy customer even if you're not making a ton of money on that one odds are they're going to refer you to somebody else and maybe that's the deal that they make a ton of money on
3: yeah yeah exactly
1: you know? So, um, okay. So I have one more question for you. It's been, been very interesting. I always love talking about high risk cause we don't get to talk about it very much on the podcast. Um, so I have a really broad question for you for the last one. I love asking this. So, uh, and first how long have you been, have you been doing this with Helios payments?
3: So we actually, yesterday was our five year anniversary.
1: Oh, uh, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. That's great. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah, that's cool. So if you could go back in time, five years, knowing what you know now, you know, um, is there anything that you would do differently and and what would it be? Do you have a you know one or two things any insights that you can think of that where well, if I go go back in 5 years knowing what I know now this is what I would do to scale up faster or to achieve my goals quicker
3: um really just one work harder that, that's seriously, <laughs> I know that's, that's not like you know what what the, you know, what, what your readers want to hear but or your listeners want to hear but um really work harder i mean i you know the, there's no way so you learn a lot along the way. So you know, for me, you know, all the bumps and bruises that we've had, and there definitely have been some, um, you know, that's all part of the process and it's beautiful and it keeps going, right? right. So right. but I, 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 I'll give you something so you have a, a little bit. Um, so um, I think I, I would have spent more time educating myself and watching uh, channels like yours on YouTube. Uh, uh-huh. it, and, and believe me, I did when we were going through the you know that retail test. Uh, you know, yeah. James Shepard playlist. Just <laughs> 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 um, so I, I think I think educating myself and trying to learn more and and get a better understanding right. of uh, of credit card processing, maybe some other avenues right. that we could have you know tested too. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I love what you said, and I think you know my perspective. I really agree because it, it's interesting. There's just a certain amount of mistakes that you have to get through, and. The harder you work, the faster you get through them. <laughs> right.
3: Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. You
1: know, I feel like for me, it's like, man, when I started out in credit card processing, um, you know, I was working around the clock and um, it allowed me to kind of figure things out. But it's like, to your point too, I think, you know, self improvement and, and like education and learning the things, you know, I, I don't know about you, but it always, it always kind of like it's fun, but it's also really frustrating when you are reading a new book or a new resource or go through a new training and you learn something and you're like, ah, oh, if I knew this 12 months ago, <laughs> right, I wouldn't have done right. this or I would have done that. And I would have been massively more successful. And so to me that every time I experience that, it just fuels my drive to read the next book and, you know, to learn the next thing because it's like, I know there are so many things out there right now that I don't know. And if I did, oh, man, it would just really dramatically make my life better. But I don't know those things yet. And that kind of realization is very uh, humbling and very uh, frustrating sometimes and kind of drives you to to learn more. So I love it. So now, Josh, I wasn't sure, you know, share with us here at the end. I don't know what kind of partnerships you may be looking for. Obviously, we have both agents, ISO execs that are, are listening right now. Um, are there partnerships that you're looking for in the industry? And also, is there somewhere you could send our listeners if they wanted to learn more about you and about Helios payments?
3: Yeah. So I'll send you a link to our website. Um, so it's just heliospayments.com. Um, so yes, we're we're always looking for relationships. Uh, and I I would think for your audience, um, you know, probably what percentage do you think is focused on low risk?
1: Almost. I would say 80% probably.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So um, that if that is an interest for them, is learning about high-risk or they have high-risk accounts they don't know what to do with, um, you know, we absolutely welcome that conversation. We work with a lot of agents and also referral partners, um, sure. you know, different vendors in the space. Uh, sure. And sometimes with agents, we'll have reciprocal you know, referral deals. Um, so you, uh, you know, you, let's say you bring me a deal. I'll give you a cut of what we make on it and vice versa. Right. Uh, so yeah, absolutely love to have those conversations and with with ISOs as well. Um, sure. You know, we're always looking for you know to work with great companies. Um, you know, that can you know, and really understand the space. They understand how to handle high risk and they understand how to underwrite quickly. Right? So, sure.
1: Got it. So basically those who don't understand high risk but are are coming across high risk accounts, they could leverage you know, your uh your setup there to to you know get those accounts boarded, potentially and do a Rev share. And then they're also you're always looking for those acquirers that specialize in high risk as, as a potential place to put merchant accounts.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Awesome. And you said that website again is Helios Payments. That's H E L I O S.
3: Yeah, H-E-L-I-O-S, P-A-Y-M-E-N-T-S.com.
1: Awesome, HelioPayments.com. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate all the insights and uh, I wish you
3: great success. Really
2: educational, thank you, Josh.
3: And thank you both.
0: This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals if you're not reading the green sheet already check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com
2: so james you know we've done a few uh, interviews in the past about these buy now pay later services right um but it seems to me and you know even then when we did i think about a year ago we did our first interview and I yeah. kind of thought it was cool but it was sort of like a one off kind of thing. Right. Uh I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah. Um you know right. I think this covid thing is really changing spending spending habits. Yes. And 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 that uh, merchants and and acquirers and processors kind of are starting to play catch up. Um there. Yeah. You know cuz installment plans I mean they've been around for years. Right. But um but you know this the financial consequences of COVID 19 are, you know, adding even greater import. Yes. You know, yes. uh, I've been amazed at the impact on consumer spending, and I just did a little research this morning. The best I could come up with was July because we're still in September. Right. But uh, between the second of March and the end of uh, so the beginning of March and the end of July, okay. consumer revolving credit fell by nearly a hundred billion dollars.
1: No wait, what do you mean by that? Is that, that means the available balance or what do you mean? What they, what they put on their, what they put on their credit cards. So they're using their credit cards less? Less.
2: Really? Oh, so is that yeah. just
1: because spending is
2: down or they're being right. more careful? Well, that's what? it. Because I, and I think what a lot of it is, is that people are, and I think I'm, I'm one of them, you know, I mean, uh, things are still a little iffy. I don't want to build my balance up. Right. If, uh, if, I'm going to get laid off in a month, right? You, right? Might, you might need to use that later. Okay. You might need to use that money later. I mean, that's how, I mean, oh. I, I cleared off a lot of my balances back, you know, when I got my, what do you call it, Stimulus check, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was like, yeah. I'm going to pay down a balance so that I have that balance available later sure. when I need it. And yeah. I think that, you know, so basically, you know, new. so went from about 818 billion to about uh 727 billion which is wow that's a know, huge drop it's a huge huge drop mm-hmm. and that was that was both equifax i found very similar numbers with both equifax and the federal reserve mm-hmm. um, cuz equifax oh. does it but the fed yeah. does it and you right. know and the fed if you look at the fed numbers i mean it was like you know new new outstandings were in the negative and in, then in june july they started trending kind of. up a bit but they right. still were mm-hmm. you know pretty Pretty subdued. Let's put it right. that way. So
1: I guess what you're trying to say is, if if that's the case, and people don't want to use their available credit on their credit card, but they still do want to make that larger purchase, they need right. some other way to buy it. Is that what you're
2: saying? Another way to buy it An installment. Yeah. You know these buy. You know, and actually, here's an interesting thing, uh, basically. Consumer finance. Doug Bland, who's SVP at an SVP at PayPal, put it this way. He said consumers are looking for more flexibility. And responsible ways to pay.
1: Hmm.
2: You know? Um yeah. and and retailers of course are looking to increase sales, particularly with right. the upcoming holiday season. Right. You know, they don't want to take on additional risk, but they certainly wanna sell more. And right. uh, so and PayPal is the latest company to enter into this buy now, pay later market. So um, they have they their have, own
1: they have their own consumer finance product now.
2: Exactly. It's called Pay and For and allows consumers to um, make online purchases without interest or added fees and pay it over a six week period. Huh? Wow. Very short period, but I mean, that's very short period. True. But you know, it's interesting. I had a, I had a incident with, with a friend's dog earlier in the summer and I ended up with this humongous vet bill, right? I mean,
1: right.
2: Totally unexpected experience. Right. Right. And I have one of the, you know, the you know, got to love the bet. Well, you know, we'll give you six months, same as cash. I'm like sold, you know, right. uh, because that was, it was, it was close to $4,000 to shell that out. Right. In right. one fell swoop was, was right. a lot to put it on my MasterCard. Wow. That's gonna, you know, really right. mess up my balance. So, right, you know, so yeah, that, that's a, I like the six months more than four, but this paying four thing Yeah. What's great is that it can be um, integrated with the existing PayPal pricing for the merchant.
1: Sure. So they're
2: not really paying, you know, additional fees, and PayPal's pretty much taking on the risk. Right.
1: So basically, it's one more way that PayPal is encroaching on the ISOs that listen to our podcast. Yeah. And they need to wake up and make sure they're providing consumer financing that maybe could be significantly better, even than that. Um, but they One need would make think, those options available to their merchants so that their merchants don't say, oh, maybe we should be processing through PayPal so that, right? that consumer financing option.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, so, which is interesting that you say that because within days of PayPal announcing this new authoring offering, uh, MasterCard and Tesis announced that they were teaming up to create a similar. I did You know what I did see that actually. Yeah. 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 There. Uh, and it's, uh, they, they signed up a, a first, the first people, the first merchant that they signed up was Fanatics. That's the okay. company that sells all that licensed sports merchandise online. Sure. You know, okay. Get your Nats, get your Phillies sure. jacket or hat or whatever. Right. And then, and then MasterCard announced it has a partnership with this company called Quad Pay, okay. um, which, which also it's been doing, um, I now pay later for both online and uh, face-to-face merchants. Sure. Uh, for a few years now, uh, they um, they have a, you know they do it through a mobile app mostly. Okay. And it's so now it's going to use this platform that MasterCard has called Vize, V I Z E. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay. Um. So then it can expand its reach. Right. Uh, for financing options. And of course, it's great for, for, uh, for MasterCard and it's, and it's acquirers. Sure. Uh, huh. You know, and the benefits, I mean, I found this, I, I found this stat in a quad pay press release that just kind of blew my mind. They said that merchants that it serves with its, you know, buy now, pay later option are seeing average ticket lists on the order of 20% or more.
1: Hmm. Which, wow. You know,
2: that yeah. says a lot. You know, I remember you telling a story when we interviewed somebody about a year ago about how you were in a store with your wife and you really liked this couch and you didn't have the right credit card with you and they offered you a buy now, pay later. I mean, that was a huge ticket lift, right? <laughs>
1: it was about, I think it was about four or five grand if I remember correctly. Yeah. So, if they would, uh, you know, yeah, it was one of those things where. The, you know, because the problem, I'll tell you one of the things that's interesting about it, you know, and it's, this is a really interesting topic today because even for, for myself, and I mean, obviously I'm, I'm in a place in my life where, you know, if I want something, I buy it, but, you know, but what's interesting is like the situation you're talking about there, you know, we went to this, it was actually a Boscov's and they had this really nice couch we wanted and stuff. Well, the problem is, you know, my debit card has a thousand dollar per transaction limit. Right. So I want to spend five grand. How do I do that? Well, that has that limit. My credit card, I think has a $2,000 per transaction limit. Now I can call them so I can get them on the phone and wait on hold for 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. then say, Hey, I'm about to do a big purchase. And then they can lift it. Um, I don't carry checks with me anymore. I'm not going to bring 5,000 cash. So it's like, even when you do have the money, just from a pure convenience perspective, you know how do Correct. you sell a, a you know how do you sell a ten thousand dollar pool or right. a seven thousand dollar pool table or uh-huh. you know what I mean or a motorcycle or whatever you know like sure so yeah I think it's I think it's very interesting I think when you and I think especially when you get up it sounds like some of these you're talking about are even now going after these micro deals where people are spending $100, $200, $300, and
2: they want to mm-hmm. spread it out over six weeks or something,
1: which is interesting as well, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it's very interesting, and especially when you look at some of the statistics about, you know, how much cash on hand the average household has for an emergency purchase, for example. Right. Um, you know, it's not in the thousands. It's at, you know, I mean, I, I think actually it's gone up a little bit, but the Federal Reserve said about a year ago that the average household had about $600, you know, um, available for emergency purchases. I mean, when I think I'm doing bad, I, I look at that stat, right? You know? <laughs> like, but you okay. know what? I mean, I, and it's like, I can remember, I can remember where we had about 50 bucks for an emergency
1: purchase, you know? Uh,
2: I remember that too, <laughs> believe me, it, you know? It, and, yeah. and, and it sort of, it makes you think, God, I'm, um, you know, as I'm not sure if our listeners know, but, you know, I had this accident that laid me up for almost three months, you know, if I didn't have emergency cushion, right, um, right. you know, it would have, it would have been devastating, you know, but yeah. thankfully I did. And, uh, right. and thankfully, actually, I had my accident on the day I became Qualified for medicare uh, you're right, you're so, right. so my right. medical bills were a lot less but there's your silver lining i guess right <laughs> that was my silver that's what i said to people or, you know it's like hey it happened on the day i qualified so, right right <laughs> what a yeah. what a great birthday present oh but,
1: uh, yeah oh my yeah well but anyway yeah, super but the, interesting stuff though
2: yeah i wanted to throw out a few stats if you don't mind go uh, ahead. Uh, yeah let's John. Do it. Uh, yeah because you know at a time when you know like we, we've talked about a lot when merchants and consumers are struggling to stay afloat, you know, something like this has some real staying power. Uh, Forrester research issued a report that said one in four retailers are now offering some type of installment payment plan. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow, and four, four out of 10 consumers are aware of and using these. Wow. Big opportunity. That's a, that's a huge opportunity. Yeah, yeah. One provider, uh, Klarna, K-L-A-R-N-A, reports that um, it had nearly one million consumers of its, uh, of its service. One million new consumers from March 1st to June 30th. Hmm. And uh, wow. a, a, another provider offered similar statistics. Hmm. Payments.com, um, unless, yeah. you know, that's a pretty popular online uh, resource. Right. Um, projects that a third of online retailers are, will be offering these solutions by next year. Wow, good. Now talk about a big opportunity and it's so tied into payments. It's so oh. tied into payments, yeah. You know, another another study suggests that um, among consumers that are using these options, one in five did it for the first time in 2020. Wow. Well, I'll tell and, you, that's some amazing stats. Hmm. And 14% of consumers use the option because their credit cards were maxed out, wow, yeah,
1: yeah, and
2: mm-hmm. uh, and here's some of the areas where they're most commonly used okay uh, this is I pulled this from I pulled this from a from a variety of sites electronics, clothing, mm-hmm. furniture, appliances, and household essentials
1: mm. and you know what too Patty, I think it's worth stating that I mean we're early enough in this um, trend that right. a lot of the people that already have that service are paying a fortune for it. I mean, the merchant. Yes. Yes. And, and they're also, of course, the consumer is also paying a lot for it as well. So right. I wouldn't, you know, I think it's an interesting one because it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely a land grab opportunity in, on two fronts because for one, there's a lot of retailers and companies that should have this that don't. Um, but right. then there's also a lot that have it, that are paying a lot that, you know, would be actually very open to having that conversation, I feel like.
2: I I think that's exactly it. Yeah, I, okay. I agree. And I think that, you know, it's, it, you know, to, to use an overused term, it's a greenfield opportunity if right. you're looking to give your your clients, you know, another tool for
1: sales. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's so ironic about this. I, I literally right before the podcast was emailing with Mark Beauchamp, you know, serve credit. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> And you know he was talking about some of the things they're doing. So I think you know this has been so compelling. I think a lot of our listeners are are like, okay, what can I do about this? So now you, maybe you know some names. I'll let's just throw a couple out. I mean, I know we have Serve Credit, S-U-R-V, Serve Credit. Right. That's a marketing right. company. They work with ISOs. They do all this consumer financing stuff. They work with individual agents. Um, right. We've had
2: we've had FlexBuy um Flex that was the one i was thinking of yeah mm-hmm. okay l e x x isn't it yes two B-U-I- x so- yeah yep
1: now they, I actually, personally, my company, we worked with them a little bit as well on my six-week jumpstart program because it's like $1,500 right now. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. they we have like the financing option there um, that we've done. So um, they do really good with the online type services, like like coaching, things like that. Um, but they have a lot of options as well. Not quite as big of an operation, but they have a really good program. So check out Flex Buy and Surf Credit. I don't really know of any other consumer finance companies that are really truly like, you know, created for the
2: the iso and the agent for the iso yeah I, i'm not exactly sure of any that are created for the other than those two that you mentioned yeah um yeah you know there's some of these but but i would certainly you know for example you know t what it's working with with mastercard is on the issuing side but i can't imagine that they wouldn't be doing something on the acquiring side at some point right So i would i would you know if you're working with t i would i would you know Ping them and see what they're up to. Yeah, sure. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Patty, great
1: information as always. It is such a pleasure to have you back on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be back, James.
0: This is Questions from the Field brought to you by CCSalesPro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit CCSalesPro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepherd.
3: So,
1: Patty, I've been working on a new ebook um, and I've been really excited about it, actually. It's, uh, it's about how to sell technology and point-of-sale solutions, um, mm-hmm. which is a really hot topic. It's been requested a lot, and so I thought on the questions from the field today, I just wanted to talk about this, this kind of misconception about hardware and software, and I want to talk about the importance of sales, onboarding, and support. So okay. one of the things as I'm talking to ISOs, is there seems to be this um, focus on software and hardware, right? You right, know, right. what are are you selling? Paradise? Are you selling Clover? Are you selling Zusa? Are you selling Point? Are you selling whatever? Right? Um, and as a result, the the ISOs end up with like eight or nine or ten or twelve different solutions that they quote unquote offer. They don't sell any of them, but they offer. Right. And right. I think I think a couple things that I mentioned in the ebook that I, I wanted to mention in this one. So first of all. There are, you know, some companies now that are starting to make solutions that are tailored more towards the reseller model where you don't have a bunch of them. So, for instance, one of my personal favorites we've had in the podcast for quite a few times is Danny at, at Zuza So, that's get mm-hmm. Um, You know, they have a fully white-labeled version of this thing. And with their solution, they're doing, like, features. So you can turn on features instead of having to download apps or, oh, cool. you know, different yeah. softwares. It's like, you know, a different software for every vertical. They don't have that. It's just like one software, you flip a switch for, so that makes it a little easier on training. But my point to all that is, what you really have to be careful about is, you have to understand that if you really want to sell technology, where you're going to differentiate yourself from Square and Shopify is in sales, onboarding, and service. Right. So the irony is these technologies all do amazing things. I mean, they really do, you know, just it's amazing what they do. And when you dive into them, I mean, you can take care of like any merchant with Clover, you can take care of like any merchant with Zouza. Um, you know, and so there's these platforms. But the thing is, you have to get your sales team to go deep. And you have mm-hmm. to make sure that they're adopting the technology and that they understand how to create solutions with the technology because that right. sales process is what your competitors don't have. Then mm-hmm. the next thing is the onboarding. You know, once you sell a merchant, how are you onboarding them? I was just doing consulting at a great company yesterday that offers quite a few, you know, uh, what I would think is like almost too many different point of sale systems. But because of their onboarding um, process, it works for them because they are just like, boom, like he was telling me, when they submit a merchant application, the, the agent has to submit the menu of the restaurant with the merchant app. Oh, wow. Otherwise, they won't approve it because wow. if they're going to sell them, you know, if they're going to get a POS system, right? Because sure, sure. If, you know, we're not going to board this merchant and we don't even have a menu. So they start building the menu before the merchant is even approved and wow. by the by the time the merchant is approved they send out one of these like you know an E700 or a Paradise POS or something with a fully loaded menu for that merchant in the box ready to go well very cool that's huge right the square yeah. is yeah. not doing that <laughs> yeah. you know um so nothing you know, like that not even close so right, that's right. that onboarding and then there's service you know you have to be ready to service these merchants i would say don't, you know, yeah, you're going to want to have some backup support. You know, um, I'm thinking of like Boomtown, you know, that offers their uh, their third-party support where they'll support different POS systems. I think that's very valuable. But I also think your support team needs to understand the technology systems that you offer. And again, this is why I think it's time. I, I, I really believe this, and you're going to hear a lot more from me about this over the next, in the coming months here because of my relationship with Zusa and some things I've been doing with them is like, I just, I really believe it's time for some of these ISOs and agents to step back and revisit their technology suite. It's like, Mm -hmm. are you selling this stuff? You know, the fact that you offer 17 different POS systems is irrelevant. The question is, how many are you selling? Because you need to sell technology. If you're not selling technology, you're asking for attrition. So Mm -hmm. you need to sell it. Well, you know, are you selling it? And if not, it's time to take a step back. And, you know, and again, I mean, my, you know, my, you'll find out and, you know, it's my personal favorite and I've been working with them for a while is, is ZUSA. So I'll go ahead and say it. Um, but I think you could definitely do the same with a Clover. You could do the same with other solutions where you could say, let's get two or three solutions and let's dominate. Like we've got to know this thing inside and out. We've got to train our salespeople. We have to, they need to know what solutions to offer. And so I think, you know to sell technology you've really got to get yourself into that place where you know what your where your agents know what they're talking about you have a fast and efficient onboarding process and you're able to support that merchant otherwise your efforts to build a book of business on technology is it's just not going to work
2: excellent excellent advice james
0: thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast whether you are an industry veteran processing executive or just trying to learn about the payment space